We're going to be looking this morning together at Luke chapter 8. And if uh, you remember all the way back to the last decade, we were studying Luke chapter 7. And we examined there Jesus' encounter with a sinful woman who sat weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping those tears with her hair. And she was criticized by those witnessing that event And so in reply, Jesus had said uh, publicly, yes, she has many sins, but those sins are forgiven. And then he bids her off with these words, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now, this was as unusual and unexpected a scene back then as it would be today. Imagine, you know, later on today when we have small group time, imagine that a woman comes in off the street looking a bit scraggly and dejected, and goes up to the feet of one of our small group leaders, begins weeping onto their feet and wiping their feet with her hair. That would be odd. And it certainly would be noteworthy. And it was noteworthy back then as well. But that is not the most noteworthy thing that happened in that account in Luke 7. Rather, it's that Jesus had just said that somehow that sinful woman had been saved from her sin by her faith. Does that amaze you? It's supposed to, because those words are some of the most amazing words you will read in the entire Bible. Because being saved from our sin is the dominant theme of all the scriptures. It's, it's the dominant theme of every gathering here at Grace Fellowship Church, including every sermon and every worship song and every Sunday school. How can people be saved from their sin? Tragically, even though that is the key question for every human being, those who don't know Jesus are predisposed by their sin to ignore the question, and those who do know Jesus are predisposed by our sin to assume the answer. So, how are people saved from their sin? Jesus told the woman, your faith has saved you, right? And of course, that's true. But what does that look like? How do you know if you have faith that saves? How do you know if you have saving faith? How many of you have actually physically crawled up to Jesus, wept physical tears onto his feet, and wiped those tears with your hair? Because that, it seems, is an outworking of saving faith. But if you haven't done that, how do you know if you have saving faith? Well, Luke sets us up with that very question at the end of Luke 7. And thankfully, he intends to answer it for us here in Luke 8. So let's read Luke 8, 1 through 15, and let's eagerly search for the answers to those questions. Luke 8, starting at verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, 
and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd, excuse me, great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed uh, fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell onto good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. So we have a parable of a sower who is sowing seed indiscriminately. And the seed therefore falls on four kinds of ground. The path, the rock, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And of those four, only the good soil is said to yield what the sower intended. A fruitful crop of a hundredfold. So then after telling this parable, Jesus calls out to the crowds in verse 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now presumably, most people in that crowd had two ears. But presumably, most people in that gathered crowd did not actually hear. And indeed, the disciples themselves are baffled, and so they come and ask Jesus about it in verse 9. And what they hear from Jesus is that the kingdom of God has secrets. That is, there are things about God's kingdom that you won't be able to discern unless they are revealed, unless someone who knows the secrets tells you what those secrets are. Now, thankfully, Jesus says that he's going to do just that for his disciples, but for others, for everybody else, he's going to keep those secrets. And he's not going to keep those secrets by whispering in secret places to a select few but by speaking publicly to crowds in parables. That is, Jesus is going to keep the secrets of God's kingdom by telling spiritual truths in simple languages. In simple language, that's what a parable is. Spiritual truths in simple language. And he even quotes Isaiah 6 to prove his point. He says, I teach in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Now, that's really surprising. That's not what you would expect to happen here. Because I suspect that if you ask most people who are at least semi-familiar with Jesus, why does Jesus speak in parables, they'd probably answer, it's so people could understand spiritual truths 
in, in simple language. But according to Jesus, the answer is, the reason he speaks in parables is so that people wouldn't understand spiritual truths in simple language. And that's why he's quoting Isaiah 6. That's what Isaiah 6 is about. They, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't doing this to keep people from hearing the secrets of God's kingdom. He's doing it to reveal that those people do not want God's kingdom at all. And so Jesus explains the parable to demonstrate that very thing. So the seed being sown, Jesus tells us, is God's word. And the seed that falls on the path are those who hear the word of God and it goes into their ears and down into their hearts just as God intended it to do. But in verse 12, we see that the devil then swoops in and takes away the word from their hearts just as a bird would grab seed off of the path. And the result for the hearer is tragic. They do not believe and they are not saved. That is, they do not have saving faith. The intended end result of this seed is saving faith, but it never develops that fruit. It doesn't even get to the point of putting down roots. Meanwhile, some of the seed falls onto the rock, and the seed germinates there. And verse 13 says that with that germination, with that hearing, comes joy, authentic, meaningful joy as that little plant grows. And why is there joy? Because of, according to verse 13, there is belief. There is faith. And this belief is not fleeting either. Jesus says that this faith lasts for a while. No, the problem with this plant, with this faith, is not in how long it lasts. Rather, the problem is a lack of depth. There's no root. And so when this rootless faith encounters testing, any of the myriad of difficulties in the Christian life, it falls away. That rootless plant simply collapses in the wind or the rain or the heat. And its joy, which stemmed from that shallow faith, dies with it. And so we come to the seed that fell among thorns in verse 14. Like the seed on the rock, there is hearing, there is resulting faith, and there is growth. Jesus even explicitly says of this seed that it bears fruit. But that fruit does not mature. That is, it shows the signs of what could be saving faith, but it never actually arrives at the goal. Why not? It's because of the thorns that choke the plant. These thorns are the cares and riches and pleasures of life, Jesus says. Isn't that remarkable? The so-called pleasures of life result not in the fullness of life they promise, but in hindrance to that fullness, hindrance to salvation. In fact, while the plant back in the rocky soil The last kind, the rocky soil, withers when encountering problems. The the plant here in the thorny soil withers when encountering prosperity. And the results are equally tragic. Their lives are wasted. There is no useful fruit 
and there is no saving faith. And so finally, we come to the good soil in verse 15. These are those who hear God's word, and like the other soils, God's word goes down into their heart. But here, in this soil, we're told, it is held fast. It is clung to. It is carefully secured in an honest and good heart. And with patience, fruit is born. There is belief. There is salvation. And so when the problems come, these deep roots hold fast to the word. And when prosperity comes, the thorns can't wrap around its ever-growing stalk, and the fruit matures. And not only does it mature, it multiplies. And so when the sower looks back over his field, he will see that that good soil and Only that good soil has yielded 100 times more fruit, 100 times more saving faith than all the other soils combined. So as we look around at this metaphorical scene here, we see that the ground is ridden with dead plants and the rotting fruit that never matured. And in the sky, there's a big, fat bird with red eyes and evil intent. So has the sower failed? No. No, he hasn't failed. He spread his seed everywhere, just as he intended. And his harvest and is growing and multiplying, just as he intended. And it really doesn't matter anyway, because this parable is not about the sower. It's about the soil. It's about those who hear God's word. It's about the great crowds from town after town, we're told, who are coming to see Jesus. It's, it's about us here that from this town who are coming to see Jesus. All of those people, all of us, are hearing God's words. And what we've seen here is that saving faith requires hearing God's word. But according to this text, according to this parable, hearing God's word is not enough. Hearing God's word only results in saving faith if you hold it fast in an honest and good heart. You must hold it fast, friends. You must hold it fast even when the pains or pleasures of life tempt you to cast it aside. You must cling to it like a drowning man clings to a life preserver or like a sinful woman clings to the feet of her Savior as she weeps. And you must hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And that's the rub, isn't it? How's your heart? Is your heart honest? If Jesus said of you, I tell you, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Would you jump up at that and say, oh, hold on, they're not that many. Or if your spouse says to you, I think the way that you spoke to the kids wasn't helpful. Do you bristle at that? Or if your brother or sister or roommate says to you, what you did wasn't very kind. Do you immediately recall to mind all the things that they have done that were not very kind? If any of those things are so, your heart is not being honest about your sin. It's trying to defend itself. It's lying. And friends, if we are not honest about our sin, then we do not have honest hearts. But let's say that you do. Let's say for a moment that your heart is honest. 
Is it good? Listen, I know some really amazing people. Many of them are sitting right here in this church. They are extraordinarily kind and generous and patient and honest. But the most honest thing that they will tell you is that they do not have good hearts. None of us do. And that's because all of our hearts have a massive problem. They have something far worse than cholesterol or clogged arteries or any other physical ailment. The problem their hearts have, the problem our hearts have is sin. The problem is that at our very core, in our hearts, we're not honest and we're not good. And if that's the case, how can any of us be good soil? How can any of us have saving faith if saving faith requires an honest and good heart that we do not have? The answer to that question, the answer that the word of God is broadcasting on every page of the Bible from Genesis 3 through Revelation 22 is that saving Faith requires a savior. Friends, we do not need a little faith booster shot. We do not need a new Bible reading plan. We do not need a New Year's resolution. We do not need a new friend group. We we cannot rely on any of those things because those things cannot save you. They are not saviors. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. That's why the sinful woman clung to Jesus in Luke 7. That's why those who are good soil don't care about the temptations of either pain or pleasure. Bring on the scorching heat. Bring on the promises of a better, easier life. We don't care. We have all we need right here at Jesus' feet, in God's word, in God's Savior, in Jesus Christ. And we're going to hold fast to him, come what may, good or bad. That, my friends, is saving faith. But that's not all saving faith is. Yes, we need to hear God's word. And yes, we need to cling to Jesus as a result. But even in this account, and in the account of the sinful woman just before this, and in fact, in the accounts that are coming, in the coming weeks as we continue studying Luke, In all of these accounts, we see not only hearing, but also action. Because saving faith requires not only hearing God's word, but also doing God's word. So let's close our time by going back over verses 1 through 3 and then jumping forward to 19 through 21. So let me read again verses 1 through 3. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who would be healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them, excuse me, out of their means. And then jump down to verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So we see two sets of people in these two sections. 
These are on either side of this parable that Jesus is telling. In the first, we see the twelve among with, uh, along with a, a number of women, some of whom are listed by name, as well as many others. And we're told that many were providing for Jesus and his followers out of their means, giving what was theirs in order that others might have. And then later on, we see Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but they couldn't get close, so they were standing outside of, of this building he was in. And when Jesus learned this, his response was, my mother and brothers? My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So there it is, plainly from the mouth of Jesus himself, if you want to be in close relationship with him, with Jesus, familially, like a mother or a brother or a son or a father, then not only is hearing the word of God required, but it also requires action. Now, the astute observer here might object at this point and say, now hold on, Tom. Jesus isn't talking about saving faith here. He's talking about being to him a mother or brother. And of course, you're right. Jesus does not use the words salvation or faith or belief right here in that text. However, let me suggest three reasons to believe that Jesus is talking about the same thing here. First, this account is set just after Jesus tells the sinful woman that her faith has saved her, and surely she could have demonstrated faith while sitting alone in her room, right? If she really did believe, she could have just sat there and and prayed. But no, she came to Jesus, she poured out her ointment, she wept on Jesus' feet with her tears, and she wiped them with with her hair. All of those were actions, her faith expressed through doing. Second, this account is also set just after Jesus tells the parable of the soils that we just examined, in which he, he plainly is speaking about faith and salvation. And third, in the very next account, which we'll examine next week, we will, we will see the disciples in a sinking boat, literally crying out for Jesus to save them. And after he does so, his response is, where is your faith? He expected action to manifest itself there, not, not just, to, not just in, in some kind of ethereal belief, but in action. What you do, how you respond to a situation shows your faith. So, yes, Jesus does speak here of being his mother and brother instead of those who have saving faith, but he's not drawing a distinction here. I think from the context, we see that he's trying to draw a parallel. If you have saving faith, faith that is characterized by both hearing God's word and doing God's word, then you will also be in this degree of relationship with Jesus. Mothers and brothers. And we see that here with these women in verses 1 through 3. They didn't simply claim to believe in Jesus. They were with him, providing for his ministry sacrificially out of their means. That, That probably referred to material needs, but could have taken the form of finances or time or or energy or whatever just as one would care for one's family and thus they demonstrate faith and action and relationship together these are parallel accounts now someone else may object to what is being shared here and you might ask me tom are you claiming that this text is saying that salvation is by faith and works by 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 what you believe and by what you do is that 
what this text is saying. Because don't Christians believe that salvation is by faith alone and not by what they do? And that is an important question because we must not confuse these issues. And you are right. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. There's nothing you must do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Rather, it is given to you freely as a gift from God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But saving faith is evidenced as an outworking of that faith through works. And that is absolutely plain here in our text. Jesus says plainly, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That is the evidence. That is the fruit. That is how you can know. And so, is this true of you? If you are here today and you recognize that this is not true of you, if that you're realizing as we're looking at this text that you are not a Christian, you are not in close relationship with Jesus, that you do not have saving faith, then on behalf of Jesus Christ, I invite you to come. Don't stand outside. Come, be part of his mother and brothers, his family with him who are hearing and doing God's word. Your being here today, right now, is evidence that God is drawing you to himself. He has invited you here to hear God's word. And if you are convicted right now of these things, you are rightly understanding God's word. That is a gift to you to be able to understand what this parable means and to respond to Jesus through his word. So do not remain outside. Come join his family, hear his words, hold fast to his words, and ask him, beg him, plead him for an honest and good heart. He will give it to you. Jesus came into this world to save sinners like you and me. He delights to save sinners like you and me. We sung some of those lyrics this morning. He is scattering the seed of his word all over to accomplish just that purpose. And if you would like to come inside, if you would like to call him your savior by faith, please talk to me or anyone that you've seen standing up front here or someone sitting around you. We would be delighted to talk to you about what saving faith means and to welcome you into his kingdom today. Now, let me close by speaking to those of us who are Christians here today. Your application is to hear the word of God and to do it. Hear the cautionary parable of the soils and let your hearing be coupled with action. Do what Jesus calls you to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Give generously. Pray for those who persecute you. Be content. Keep yourself pure. Submit to authorities. Bear one another's burdens. Rejoice in all things. These are the kinds of things you're called to do as you hear. Jesus is plain. If you are not hearing his words, or if you are not striving eagerly to do them, it is very likely the case here that you are not the good soil. Your fruit is not maturing. Perhaps your roots have never gone down. You are not his mother and brothers. 
you do not have saving faith. And you are still in your sin. Now, I, I, I tried to carefully phrase that. It is very likely the case, if you are not doing these things, if you are not seeing the fruit of these things, it's very likely that you may not be a Christian. But I, I do want to encourage you that Jesus is plain, that we should expect to bear fruit with patience. We shouldn't expect instant results. I became a Christian like yesterday. Why am I not bearing fruit a hundredfold? Why are not people coming to Christ all around me? Why is my heart still desiring evil things? Why is wickedness pouring out of my mouth? Those things change with patience over time. But there should be results. So look for it. Ask others about it. Pray for it. Ask Jesus to give it to you, to show it to you. Because that, friends, is what saving faith looks like.